when you have a tiger by a tail with that kind of a launch, as fast as it can go up, it can also go down. I really didn't want to have to sprint to hire a bunch of people and then fire a bunch of people. This is Chan with the Plan the Podcast, a podcast providing career advice and easy actual steps for frustrated professionals, helping you overcome career challenges so you stop feeling confused and defeated and start feeling focused and confident in order to excel in your career. I'm your host, Max Chan. Now let's dive into the episode. Good afternoon, Alden. How's it going? Hey, it's going great. How are you doing? Yeah, everything's good. Everything's good. First off, thank you so much for taking the time to come on my show and discuss your experience running fitness because I'm a fitness guy myself, so I'm looking to dive into that. And then I also know that you have experience in the Navy, Navy SEAL. So looking to very excited to dive deeper into your career and hopefully you can provide my listener with some lessons. So with that being said, I'll just kick it off by you introducing yourself to my audience and what your career has been so far. Well, hello, everybody. My name's Alden Mills. I grew up in a small town in central Mass on a farm. Ended up getting recruited to go row at the Naval Academy. From the Naval Academy, I went into the Navy SEALs, became a three-time Navy SEAL platoon commander. I did active duty for seven years with three deployments and then went to business school, studied entrepreneurship, moved out to San Francisco, worked in tech for a little while, and then started a series of businesses, two of which promptly failed. And the third one became the fastest growing consumer products company in the country, number four overall in the Inc. 500, where we did just about $100 million in sales in three years. And then I've written a couple of books, Be Unstoppable and Unstoppable Teams. I'm on the speaking circuit. I'm an executive coach, been awarded over 40 patents. I'm a father with four boys and a Labrador. Nice. So going back to your uh, business story. So in a way, it's fitting with the saying like three times a charm, right? So you yeah. failed two businesses, but you succeed in the third one. So the first thing is, a lot of people, once they fail the first time, they end up wanting to just avoid it and do something else, but it takes multiple failures to achieve that success. So talk about your first failure and what made you decide to try again. And then talk about like why you decided to try one more time once you failed the second time. The only thing that I got right out of the first two failures is that I picked an industry I really cared about. So these were all in the same industry. Same industry was fitness. The first failure was called PT Metrics. And what I wanted to do, and this was back in 2002, was to use this burgeoning new technology called Bluetooth to connect existing pieces of selectorized weight machines. You know, those are the ones where you'd move a metal pin on a plate. The technology just wasn't there yet. I tried to build out the platform and it was just too expensive and it was not what anybody wanted. And then I moved into fitness of a handheld product that would link up with a video game to use it as a joystick controller. And that turned out to have its own set of technology problems. And then the Wii came along and that made things even more interesting. And those first two 
It was like funneling me down into simplify, simplify, simplify. And then we launched a product called the Perfect Push-Up. And that was the winner. And that became the winner. And the Perfect Push-Up led to the third company called Perfect Fitness. And over time, we created over 100 products, sold to 77 countries around the world, and became a relatively large company for starting off with just the simple Perfect Push-Up. So a lot of entrepreneurs, they try to create a solution and then find the problem, not find the problem first and create the solution for that problem. Did you fall into that trap? That is a very good issue to deal with. And yes, in the beginning, I was a little bit of a solution looking for a problem to solve. Now, I wanted to do something technology, right? I was coming out of a technology startup and I was all fired up. Oh, I got to come out with some kind of technology and let's apply it to something. What's the latest technology? Oh, this Bluetooth thing. Let's figure out a way to track movement and sets and reps on weight equipment. And it turns out like, yeah, that was a problem, but it wasn't worth paying the amount of money it required for the software and hardware to do that. And what became a much simpler problem to solve was people, their wrists hurt. They knew push-ups were a really good product. I mean, just doing the exercise is a great exercise. But a lot of people stopped doing push-ups as they got older because their wrists hurt and didn't feel good on their joints. And that's how we came up with the perfect push-up. You make a good point because I like doing push-ups too, right? But then like you're always, like, your hands are on the floor, right? And like you can do it for a bit, but then your wrists start hurting, so you can't do more. But then with the perfect push-up, I'm assuming like there's a handles, right? So then you grab it, and then you can also go deeper as well, right? You go deeper as well, and it also mimics a natural movement as you extend your wrist. It's like a punch. Nice. Okay. So one of the other things about entrepreneurs is that they give up too soon. So what I'm trying to get at is like, let's say like you have to do all the R&D, all the uh, testing to see if it works or not. So how did you know you had a winner? It was just not there yet. First, I want to just support that statement that you said, Max. It is so true. In SEAL Team, we would call it darkest before dawn. And that's actually a true phenomenon. It's actually darkest and coldest right before dawn, right? And I liken that to dealing with ideas that you're bringing to market, you know, the biggest challenges you deal during the darkest moments are the challenges between your ears. And those challenges are doubt, questioning, oh, is this even going to work? Am I going to look stupid? Right? They're all fear-based challenges. And as you get down that path, part of the process is learning to keep those fears in check. Use them as fuel, but don't let them become a force to stop you. And when you're deciding like, hey, is this going to work or not? The best way we knew that the perfect push-up was going to work is we made a couple sets of functional models and we went around to different fitness centers and said, hey, try these out. What do you guys think of these? Oh, these feel really good. And then people didn't want to give them back to us. And that's when we were like, hey, that's a lot different experience than the last thing that we brought out, which was the body rev, which was this handheld rotating weight system. And people were like, yeah, it's kind of cool, but I don't really know what to do with it. And how does it work? Right. With the perfect push up, 
functional models. They're like, oh, I know exactly. Oh, these are good. Oh, oh, no, no. Can I take them home with me? And so when you started getting that feedback, we're like, oh. And then the next piece was, well, we didn't just go out and say, hey, let's fill an entire warehouse of this. We made just enough that could fit in one container. And we put it in an online catalog called Harrington Catalog. And it became the number two selling product when their first catalog dropped. And we sold the entire container, which was about 3,500 push-ups. And that's when we knew we had something. That's awesome. And like going back to the fear thing, right? I think like you can give someone all the strategies and tools you need to succeed. But if you don't have the confidence and mindset to actually implement it and stick the course, it's not going to work. The saying goes, you can lead the horse to water, but you can't make them drink it. So with that being said, you have talked about the three controllables to your mindset and how to use them to your advantage. So can you walk us through like how you can control your mindset to, again, push past fear and push past all the obstacles that your mind is throwing at you to ensure that you are going to believe in your mission and complete it? You know, I couldn't agree with you more. It really does come down to mindset, right? When you went through SEAL training, I was by far not the best with push-ups. I was one of the slower runners. I watched a guy who could, he scored in like the top 10 of his age group as an Ironman triathlete. And yet he quit in the third week. Now, why is that? He was the fastest, the strongest, the fastest swimmer, the fastest runner. But why did he quit? The answer is because it was between his ears. And that mindset, and if you really pull apart the few things that we have control, there's only really three. Now, everything else can cascade from these, but one are our thoughts, number two is our focus, and number three are the beliefs that we choose to embrace. And those three actually operate in a flywheel. We start thinking a negative thought, we focus on a negative thought. We focus on a negative thought, we think about what that belief is, and we look for ways to reinforce that belief with another negative or limiting thought. That goes into the funnel. We look at that, and it goes and goes and goes and sends us into a negative spiral. The same thing can happen for the positive event. We believe we can do it. We start thinking about positive thoughts on how we can get something done. We focus on taking an action. We take that action. We say, oh, we learned something. At least we didn't fail. We just learned something and we keep going, right? It's literally a mindset shift of deciding whether I can or I can't. And to add to that, it's so important to have a support network that believes in what you're trying to do. As the saying goes, you are who you associate with. So how do you find like-minded people to help you achieve success. So for example, like let's say you have a group of friends and you want to try something different and then they start making fun of you because you're trying to do something different, right? So you always get these criticism from the people who want to remain status quo. So how do you get rid of those naysayers and then also find the right people, the right support group to help you succeed? We have the division in SEAL team and it's called X Division. And X Division in SEAL team is a reason why leading in SEAL team is easier than leading as a civilian. Because we can't have an X division at a company. 
can't have an X division in our family. We have to make our own X division. Now, let me explain what an X division is. X division is where all the quitters go, where all the negative attitudes go that aren't helpful to getting the class to complete the next evolution or to graduate. They're removed from the class. You're not allowed to even look at them. When you go by people in X division, they stop what they're doing. They turn their backs to the class that's still in the crucible trying to get something done. Okay? That's X division. We have to create our own X division. When we're out thinking and deciding we're going to do something different than we've done before. And the more radical... The more audacious our thing is, the more we must be disciplined about creating our own X division. Now, does that mean we actually set up a room in our apartment or our house that says, you, you go in X division? No, it's not. We can't do that to friends or family members because we still love our friends and family members. But we also have to start understanding, hey, is this person helpful? or hurtful to helping me get to where I really want to go. And let's say I'm a mid-level person that's decided that I've been working in finance for the last five or seven years, and now I've decided I'm not going to do finance. I've always wanted to start a dance studio. But you've been working at Goldman Sachs. Are you crazy? You're going to start a dance studio? Yeah, it's called Zumba. And I just love bringing Latin dance to the world. Now, by the way, this is not how Zumba was created, but just go with me on that. I've heard of plenty of people who have left places like a Goldman Sachs and they've gone off to do completely different things. That's courage, folks. You need courage to go in the face of fear. You can't have courage without fear. And to do that means the other thing that they really teach you and embed in you in SEAL training. And that is you got to have a swim buddy. You don't have to have a lot of swim buddies, but you can have one person, one person that represents your smallest team that is the yin to your yang, the one that will pick you up when you're like, I don't think I can go anymore. And you're like, no, you got this. I believe in you. Keep going. You only need one or two of those people when you're looking to make that shift into your next career. Everybody else, put them in your imaginary X division. That makes sense. And just to talk more about your uh, career as a Navy SEAL, what were some of the mindsets and even like career lessons that you learned in Navy SEAL that was able to help you be successful in business? We have these two voices in our heads. I call them in my second book, Unstoppable Teams. I dedicate a couple chapters to them. I call them the whiner and the whisperer. We have this conversation going on all the time. And the whiner is loud. And we all know what the whiner sounds like. You don't have to go through SEAL training to hear it. You know how hard this is going to be? Why do you think you can do it? You can't do it. You're not ready for this. That person's way better than you. You shouldn't even try. You're going to get embarrassed. You can't do that. It's not the right place time. It's not the time for you. You know, pick it. You know how the whiner speaks to you. The whiner will speak to us in ways that we will not allow others to speak to us. But we will be so brutally hard on ourselves. And we will accept that whiner if we're not careful. Now, there's another voice. It's much quieter. It's softer. And you have to be aware of it and tune into it. And that's the whisperer. 
And the whisperer says things like this, Lisa does to me, get up, you can take another step. Keep going, try again, you can do it. Your leadership job, we are all leaders, every single one of us. The question you may say, well, I'm not a leader, I don't have anybody following me. Okay, well, we'll work on that later. But you're all leaders. Every one of us is a leader. We have to lead ourselves to get out of bed in the morning, to go to work, to decide what clothes to put on, what food to put in our mouth, what we decide to listen to, who we decide to listen to. And your first great leadership role is to lead that conversation between the whiner and the whisperer. It's a very important learning. Another very important learning that comes out of SEAL Team is where you put your focus. You know, focus is like a funnel. It determines our direction and it directs where we put our energy to take an action. And you must learn to control what I call your focus funnel. And one of the most important things that you have to understand about your focus funnel is it doesn't care what kind of energy you put in there. You can put hurtful or helpful energy, things that will help you get closer to your goal or further away. It's up to you what you decide and where you decide to put your focus. The other piece of that is the energy that you put in there is a magnet. It will attract like magnets. The old adage, one bad apple can spoil the bunch, is really true, which is why we spend so much time focusing on people's attitude, not just their aptitude, but their attitude. Attitude stems from thoughts. Thoughts and emotions get together in an emotional loop and they spin out your attitude. You decide where you put that positive or negative focus. And the final piece of the focus funnel that I want everyone to be really understanding, and it's what they spend a lot of time teaching in SEAL training, is what I call the difference between the moment and the mountain. The moment is this moment that we can take effect of right now. We can take control of this moment. If we think about the thoughts in the past and they're negative ones, they just lead to depression. We think about things that we can't control or we're worried about in the future, well, that's anxiety. But the thoughts that we focus on in the present, those are the ones that make the difference. The mountain is when we focus on all the things that we have to do in front of us. Ask yourself, helpful or hurtful, if you have to think of this mountain of work in front of you and what you'll end up coming up with, well, no, actually, what will happen is I'll create a negative hypothetical and I'll start thinking about, oh my God, I have so much work to do. The whiner kicks in. Are you crazy? We're never going to get that done. Look how much work. Just forget about it. Sit on the sofa and watch bonbons and watch a Netflix show. And that is a point where our focus funnel explodes and it gets so disoriented by thinking about the mountain versus staying focused on the moment. Speaking of the whiner and the mountain of work, one of the big issues that a lot of professionals have is procrastination, right? Like there's stuff that they should be doing, but they don't. There's so much distractions out there, pleasurable distractions, for example, the Netflix or your friend calls you and wants to go for a beer right? So how do you fight these temptations so you stay focused on the goals at hand? Look, reward yourself. Reward yourself for making the decision 
of what you're also willing to sacrifice. In the very beginning, and when I do anything new, I've created these little things called daily action cards. I put the goals on one side, tasks on the other. You don't have to buy these. You can go make your own just on an index card. But let's say you've decided you're going to write a book. You're going to stay in your job, but you're going to write a book because writing a book for your job is really going to separate you from the pack. It's going to show you as a thought leader. But writing a book is hard. And there's a lot of doubt that comes with writing a book, especially since if you were like me, I didn't get a lot of A's in English. Maybe English isn't even your first language. And you want to write this book? What are you going to write it on? And I've never written a book. And long as I ever did was a term paper. And I didn't even do well on that term paper. And now I want to write a book, right? That's the whiner speaking. But Max has decided he's still going to write this book. But Max has buddies that like to do fantasy football. And they like to get together to watch, uh, play some video games or to go out on certain nights of the week. And Max has got to give up something to get something in return. Max tells his friends, hey guys, gals, I've got to cut back on a couple of these nights because a couple of these nights i got to try and write about 250 words. I'm working on this book. Some friends of Max will go, come on, man, what's up with you? We need you here. You got Don't let down the team. Don't give us up. And then a couple will pull you aside and say, hey, that's awesome. I wish I would write a book. I'm cheering for you. Don't worry about those guys. They're just jealous. You keep going, Max. We'll see you on Thursday night. You take the other nights to do what you need to do. And then Max starts putting in his calendar from 7 to 9, he's going to sit down and write on those days. And on the other days, after he hits a 1,000 words, he gets to go out with his buddies. And if he gets ahead of time, then he gets to do that. But that's part of how you do the self-discipline. And the self-discipline it starts with just writing down what's the action I can do today. And that's why I use these cards. Very simple, and they work. So everybody has that huge goal, right? And then it takes forever to hit that goal, and then they end up falling off, right? So, mm -hmm. for example, let's say it takes five years to build a successful business, but they want it overnight. So they're doing all these small tasks, but they don't feel like they're getting any traction. Again, even like with promotions and careers, right? People expect to get promoted within like six months to a year of getting the job at the company, but sometimes it can take a bit longer. So how do you fight the impatience and instant gratification that a lot of people have now, especially in the digital age where you can find something fairly quickly on the internet? Do you know how to lose weight, Max? Uh, no, I never had to lose weight, if that makes sense. <laughs> but let's pretend you did. Do you have okay. a rough idea how to lose weight? Yeah, it's obviously diet's important. A big myth is that they think that they have to exercise more, but it's actually a good portion of it has to be your diet. And then you complement that with exercise. Yeah. Consume less, burn more, right? Yeah. Same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Somebody who is looking for that overnight success are the same people looking for a pill to help them lose 100 pounds overnight. But here's the rub. We didn't gain 100 pounds overnight. Right? It took years to gain that much weight. We can't expect to lose that much weight overnight. Same analogy is applicable when we're trying to bring a new product to market, when we're trying to start a new job, when we're shifting careers, when we're creating a new chapter. 
These things don't happen overnight. My first book took me 10 years. So how do we embrace that struggle? And that, my friend, is the key. It's not focusing on when do I get it? When do I get it? When do I get it? It's focusing on, yes, I get to do this today. I get to go for a walk today. I get to eat this delicious salad today in the metaphor of losing weight. I get to write 250 words. I am starting to love to write. I am starting to love to work on the product design of my new product. And we start to find joy or passion and a purpose in the role of the new thing we're doing. If you can't find that, it's very hard to stick with something. You said it took you 10 years to write that book. So walk us through the process of sticking through it for 10 years to write that book. So it was on again, off again. The first book I'm referring to is Be Unstoppable, The Eight Essential Actions to Succeed in Anything. And the trigger event for that book was a dear friend of mine was the first Navy SEAL killed in Afghanistan. And I knew he had written what's called a just-in-case letter. A just-in-case letter is what they ask you to write before you go off on SEAL missions. So in the event you pay the ultimate sacrifice, a flag is given along with a letter in your handwriting to your next of kin. I wrote three of those letters, but my next of kin was my mom, my dad, and my brother. I wasn't married. I didn't have kids in SEAL team. But my buddy, he had an 18-month-old son. And the reason that hit home to me was that my wife was pregnant with our first child when that happened. So I wrote a letter to my unborn son. I didn't know it was a son at the time. And then I didn't really think much of it. And from time to time, I made a goal of myself that I would only write. I did have a goal to write a book. But I'd only do it on airplanes because I didn't want to take away from my fatherly duties with a newborn when I was at home. And I was on airplanes quite a bit. And I figured, you know what, I'll give up watching a rerun of a movie and I'll just write on the airplanes. And I got a fair amount done on those airplane rides. And then I kind of lost steam on it for a little while. And then the second child came along and I wrote a new letter. Then the third child came along. I wrote it again. And by the way, we had them every two years. We had four of them. And by the end, I was getting excited about what the book was representing and came up with the final parable that brought the book together and then got it published. And then, you know where the book went? The book became a bestseller, which I wasn't expecting to have happen. It helped me get on the speaking circuit. It helped me in my professional roles. It helped me in my personal roles. And it's a great source of pride, but it was something that I was willing to dedicate a little time to on and off for a long period of time. And I just started to find joy in the actual process. That's a great thing that you just brought up because people want the outcome, but they don't enjoy the journey, right? Gary V, as you may be aware, he always talks about like, you have to love the process. The outcome is just the aftermath of enjoying the process so much. Correct. It's the byproduct. Yeah, it's a byproduct. Yeah, it's a byproduct. So again, like people want to be successful entrepreneurs because of the extrinsic rewards, but they don't actually enjoy what they do internally, right? So if you're not enjoying what you're doing, it's very hard to stay the course to get that extrinsic reward. 
I could not agree more with that. And it's so important. We don't know when our lives end, right? We have no idea. So why not maximize our joy every day? So go find the joy in whatever it is you're doing. And trust me, you can find joy in anything you're doing. If Viktor Frankl can figure out a way to find joy in Auschwitz and a purpose for being there, you can find joy in your job. Absolutely. And just taking a step back with when you're building your business at Perfect Fitness, we're talking about sacrifices, right? So like how much did you have to like sacrifice in order to maintain the mission to build the company where it was before you sold it? I don't want to scare people off on this, Max. I will tell you, this doesn't happen overnight when you decide, and I remember deciding like, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm going to invent a product. I want to bring a product to market. That was my goal. And I want the product to help people. I don't want to just sell a widget. I don't want to just sell a plastic green cup and see how many I could sell. I want to sell a widget that really helped people. And people would say, hey, you helped change my life. That was part of my goal. So when you go after that, you really have to get connected with the joy of why you're doing it in the first place. And when you drive for that, that is the differentiator that will get you out in trying to make something new occur. Whether it was writing a book, inventing all the different products, I always associated a purpose and a passion to what I was doing with that. And I would think about a movie in my head. I'd create and envision a movie of like the joy that I could get from helping serve others on whatever this thing was that I was trying to create. When I lost sight of that, and I would often lose sight of that, I would think, oh, it's just about selling more and more widgets. I'd lose the joy. And when you lose the joy, it's not an enjoyable place to be. That makes sense. And what made you decide to do a product and not a service? Usually some people might start a service-based business because it's less overhead compared to a product. But what made you so adamant that you want to start a product-based business? I grew up in a manufacturing family. I was a very tactile guy, right? I loved watching the thing being made. For me, at first, I wanted to create the widget. I wanted to see a thing that I had made and saw it in use. Now, for others, it could be software. I just didn't understand software. And I actually went into software right out of business school. And I didn't get coding. I couldn't relate with it. It just didn't do anything for me back then. You know, I have a different feel about it today. But back then, it was, you know, 20 years ago, I was like, no, I want the widget. I want to make something and say, I made that and I put it on, you know, and I can hold it and use it every day. But I'm in the service business today. I've left building widgets and the greatest joy I get now isn't just watching somebody use one of the widgets. It's helping people be unstoppable, helping them be unstoppable and going after their dreams. And that brings me the greatest joy when I get a note from somebody that says, Alden, that talk you gave, or I read your book, or I listened to you and Max together, and you've inspired me to do it. I'm going to go after my dream. Remember, it is all just a mindset shift, Max. 
right? I suspect that's in part the reason you're doing what you're doing. Yeah, 100%, right? Like, I've had a lot of listeners say, hey, Max, I really appreciate you inviting all these guests to share their career wisdom. It's really helped me a lot, right? So it's about like the impact you made on these people. Yeah. And, you know, I enjoyed doing the show with you, right? I wouldn't come on this show because I was like, I'm only coming on the show because Max has so many followers and he's going to help me get to the next level. Like, no, I'm looking forward to helping out Max. And maybe by helping out Max, we help some other people and they come back and they go, hey, Alden, we love what you did. You know, how can we help you? But I'm not here for that. I'm here because there's a great joy of getting to chat with you that maybe some small nugget that something we have both talked about tonight will help improve somebody's ability to go after their dream. You make a good point in terms of like enjoying the conversation more so than the extrinsic, right? What I've experienced is when a podcast guest asks me how many downloads I have, how many followers I have, if I do end up bringing them on, they tend to be very sales pitchy because they've tried to like, oh, I have a huge base. I want to sell as much as I can, right? Well, someone who's actually into the conversation, they'll be more authentic and give a lot of value to the show. Yeah, that's what I'm in it for. Yeah. To me, that's the intrinsic value that you're after. Not here to like, well, Max helped me get to X followers or Y amount of dollars. It's no, we're both on a mission to help people and use the skills and the gifts that we've been given to help inspire them to use their gifts to go serve others. Change the subject a little bit. So for your business, Perfect Fitness, talk about how you hired your first employee and what was that like? And what were you looking for, Axel, in your first employee? Well, I will say the very first employee was actually my partner. I'm a big believer in swim buddies. That's two people. If you're in the military, in the Marine Corps, they call them battle buddies. And pilots, they call them wingmen, right? You need a partner. You need someone that's the yin to your yang, someone that can do all the things you're not good at. When it then came to hiring our first employee, it was like, hey, what are the things we really need? And you know the things we really need? We needed an administrative assistant that could help us keep everything organized. Becky, she was our first employee. We worked in a little closet of an office that we sublet from two different buddies. They didn't even have any heat. And thank God, Becky was just a easy-go-lucky girl, and she was tough, and we bought her a winter coat because it was cold and it didn't have heat. We went and got a space heater. And when we hired that first person, the questions I'd always ask would be, hey, tell me a story about a struggle in your life. Becky was a first-generation Chinese immigrant, and she told an amazing story of how her family, and she struggled to come to San Francisco. And we knew she was accustomed to perseverance. And we knew we could also teach her what she needed to know on the admin side. And she became a longtime employee of the company. Was she still there when you sold the company? No. One of the things that I really prided ourselves on was I always asked people about their goals. As they joined the company, I'm like, by the way, Perhaps your long-term goal is to work here, but most of the time it's not. 
you know, you want to work here for three or five years and you want to move on to something else. We want to help you. Where is it you want to go? And she wanted to go work in one of the larger accounting firms. And we helped her get to a large accounting firm. That's a rarity. People, they always play a political game about like, where you see yourself in five years? Oh, I, I plan to stay here for a while, right? Because no one really wants to admit that I'm just here for a short term, like learn what I need to learn and then go somewhere else, right? No one really wants to say that. But it's kind of rare to hear that you're just being straight up like, yes, you might want to work here long term, but what is your goals? And we want to help you support we want to support you in those goals, even if it's not here long term. Yeah. And by the way, when you do that and they see how much you care for them, they then go, oh, you know what? They're giving me the option to leave anytime I want, but I now know the door is open for me to go do that. But I'm really finding the joy of working here. And a lot of people would stay longer. And a lot of those people I'm still in touch with today, they're like, yeah, I... One person showed up that was a great designer. And one of our goals was basically to bring the metaphor of a machine gun to a designer knife fight. We wanted to be the best in the handheld fitness business of designing fitness products. So I went after the absolute top tier designers, people who worked on cars, people who worked on Apple cases and things like I wanted the absolute best. And you can't keep them for long because they're also designers and they're interested in working on different things. And we had one, he's like, yeah, that sounds cool. I'll work here for a little while, but then I go, what's your real fantasy job? Because oh, I want to work at the Intel skunks work division. Didn't even know they existed. And we worked for two years to help him get in there. And he's there to this day. That's great. And going in terms of like, you hired your first employee. How do you scale your company or when do you know when it's time to scale and then ensuring that you do it, even though there's a lot of risks involved in scaling? Oh my gosh. I wish I could give a really thoughtful, like, oh, here's the metric. If you just do this, you, you know, follow along. I basically would say we'd get to the point where everyone was working two jobs and they'd be like, we need another person. And then we'd bring that person on, take enough off and be like, we need another person. Right. When everyone's coming in haggard and they're working 12, 14 hour days, we need another person. And I really was thoughtful about how many people we'd bring in at any given time because, you know, when you have a tiger by a tail with that kind of a launch, as fast as it can go up, it can also go down. And I really didn't want to have to sprint to hire a bunch of people and then fire a bunch of people because we had to do layoffs, right? So I was very thoughtful. I tried to be, not always, I tried to be on how we would do that. So when you were hiring for people for your company, Perfect Fitness, what traits were you looking for in a candidate? And what were some red flags that you're saying, okay, we can't hire this person? Okay, so there were two levels of hiring. First was on aptitude. And most of the time I didn't get involved in aptitude. If we were hiring somebody in the marketing division, we needed to know they had the aptitude for what marketing needed. Okay. So marketing would do the first screen and look from an aptitude perspective. Oh yeah. We need this person for market research. They know how to do market research. And we proved that through a bunch of different interview questions and, and reference checks. Right. That was round one. Round two was attitude. 
in round two, if they made it to round two, then they were coming to see me because I interviewed everybody on attitude. And when it came to attitude, I asked questions just like the one I said about Becky. Tell me about a great struggle. Tell me about your greatest failure. Here's your red flag on this one. And I've had this happen many times. You know, Mr. Mills, I guess I'm lucky. I mean, I, I just really haven't failed much in my life. Really? You haven't failed at all? No. No, i just gotten lucky, I guess. Oh. Okay. Why is that a red flag? Because if somebody hasn't failed, they haven't taken a great risk. They haven't really struggled. We are all imperfect. We are designed to work together. We need each other because we're imperfect. Because we can't do it all. There's no one superwoman or superman out there. We need each other. And if someone doesn't have enough courage to go out and try that risk and have that great failure, then they're not going to be very comfortable in an entrepreneurial company where the very definition of the business is we're going to have to take risks and some are going to work and a lot aren't. And I need you to be willing to take that risk. So when it comes to growing a company, it's not a straight trajectory, right? Obviously, your company, Perfect Fitness, was really successful, but there were probably some roadblocks that you had to endure. So what were some of the roadblocks that you faced during the time as you were growing your business? I don't think we have enough time on this show to talk about all this. <laughs> so one of the greatest obvious roadblocks was cash. Managing cash in the very beginning, it's not that helpful to have a whole bunch of money thrown at you. Now, you know, we raised a million and a half dollars. Is that a whole bunch of money in today's standards to launch a product? Mm, no, but it was more than enough than we needed. And did we make some unnecessary expensive expenditures? Yes. Did we buy a URL for $25,000 that we didn't need? Yes. Did we spend $40,000 on coloring experts that we probably could have just come up with on our own? Yes. You know, ironically, we didn't really pay ourselves very much, but we thought, oh, you know, we're making a difference by spending things. And one of the key things was actually really paying attention to a timeline and holding ourselves accountable to the timeline and hitting those metrics that we were trying to hit on the timeline. That is one of the single greatest lessons learned I had from that is make timelines Come up with a self-discipline. Am I making progress to my goal? What do I need to change? What do I need to improve? And work to the timelines. And in regards to the timelines, when did you decide it was the time to exit the business and sell it? Some people want to run the business forever. Some decide that, okay, I think I've done all I can. I want to sell the business and do something else. So how did you come to that decision with your business? Well, in this case... There were a lot of moving parts. And one of the moving parts was I faced bankruptcy three times in my business. The first time right before we created the perfect push-up. The second time in 2009, right after we were one of the lead articles in the Inc. 500, I felt like I went from hero to zero. We used a lot of bank financing to grow the business. And then the bank, during the second Great Depression wanted to call the loan. And 
all of a sudden they wanted to repossess my house and sell it off to pay off the loan. And that was a really hard time. So you also want to talk about obstacles? That was a big obstacle. The third time that we almost faced bankruptcy is that after we paid off the bank in full on a $15 million line of credit, we needed to partner with another company to use their warehousing. And when we partnered with that company, they didn't tell us that they were going bankrupt. And as they were going bankrupt, we had a 90-day out clause. And if we didn't sell in 90 days, we would have gotten sucked down with them. So I really didn't have much of a choice at that point. Now, back in 2008, I was already in the process of selling the business. And I was in the process of selling the business. I was going to sell a portion of the business because I had a fiduciary responsibility to my 35% stakeholders in the business. And we were going to sell a piece of the business and then keep operating it. After a while, however, I really got burned out of creating more and more widgets and I needed to take a break. And we had an ownership structure where the best option was to sell the business in its entirety. It had gotten so big that we needed to find an operating partner that had warehouses and ERP systems and forklifts and trucks in multiple continents around the world that could move the products that we were creating. So with all that being said, once you sold the business, what was your next move and where are you now in your career and what's next for you? The very next thing after I sold my business is that I promised to work for that business for three years. I stayed on for three and a half years. We sold the business again. And after we did that, I packed up my family and we moved to Spain, Barcelona for two years. And I wrote my second book, Unstoppable Teams. And use that book along with the first book to focus on helping people be unstoppable around the world. And I do that with speaking, coaching, writing, and some online courses that I've created. Nice. So to wrap up our conversation, it's been a great hour. I end my podcast with one last question for all my guests, which is for you, Ashley, specifically, what has been one big learning lesson that you have had in your career? Like, what was one big roadblock that you had in your career that you were able to overcome that helped you learn that you could be unstoppable? I want everyone to know that unstoppable is a choice. We are all built to be unstoppable, but it's our choice. We get to decide what we can or can't do. Every single obstacle I've been thrown, and I have failed a lot more than I've succeeded over the last 35 years, has always come down to the decision, I don't care what anyone else says, I can do this, or I can't. No one decides what you can or can't do, but you. You make the choice if you're unstoppable or not. Unstoppable is a choice. And we were all built to be unstoppable to follow our dreams. Like you said, it always goes down to mindset, right? There's nothing else. Like I could teach you all the tools and strategies to be successful, but if you don't have the right mindset to do it, it won't help you. Correct. Exactly, Max. Gr if I were right there with you, I'd give you a fist bump and then a hug. <laughs> awesome. And that's a great way to end our podcast conversation. So again, Alden, really appreciate the time. 
How can people reach out to you, whether it's to get guidance or to buy one of your two books? Yeah, they can just go to my website on alden-mills.com or they can go to beunstoppable.com. If they go to alden-mills.com, they can sign up for a weekly free blog that I write about all kinds of different things on leadership and how to be unstoppable. Great. Again, appreciate the time, Alden, and have a great weekend. Hey, and I appreciate you, Max. Keep inspiring people. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this content valuable, here's three ways I can help you achieve your career goals for free. First, subscribe to this podcast as I post two episodes a week. Number two, leave a five-star review as this helps build the credibility of the show so we can gain access to more influential people to interview and bring those lessons to you to help elevate your career. And number three, connect with me on social media. There's a link in the show notes for you to click on that compiles all my active social media accounts, making it easy for you to find me and connect with me. Thank you again for listening. And until next time, Thank you.